0: Today you are with Janine Preston and this podcast is sponsored by H2O Nero Clean Water Solutions. Today I'm introducing a man who inspired many by his adventure across the Atlantic. He has a maritime and adventure background, served as a naval combat officer in the South African Navy for 17 years, where he also qualified as a combat diver. During his time in the Navy, he completed three Atlantic crossings. He is also qualified 200T yacht captain, master of yachts, and has sailed extensively. He is an avid adventure racer, competing in many multi-day non-stop events that comprised of trail running, rock climbing, river rafting, and mountain biking. His many adventures include trekking the Himalayas, the stand-up paddle boarding through the Okavongo Delta of the Botswana, and he arrived to Rio in a hero's welcome after a world record 7,200 kilometers solo transatlantic row from Cape Town to Rio. This man needs no introduction. His name is Zirk Buerta. Hi, Zirk.
1: Hi, so nice to be able to join you.
0: And I really appreciate your taking the time to chat to us because, I mean, you're such a an inspiration and a worldwide hero at this time.
1: Thanks. Yeah, I, I, I really appreciate that. And um, it's, it's, it's very humbling uh, to be in that position um, because, you know, in, in South Africa and in the world, we're going through really, really challenging times. South Africa, we've had load shedding and water restrictions and COVID and state capture and, and all these things, you know. And, 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 and I realized that halfway through the road that people were actually really desperate for something uplifting and inspirational. And uh, I happen to be there at the right time. Uh, but it is very humbling to, to be in this position
0: and you have followed somebody's route what, what tell me the story from the beginning because we'd love to follow the journey from the idea to the finish
1: um yeah so sure uh, it, it's quite a story because uh i've been wanting to do something unique uh and 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 big uh because that's that's my approach uh for a while um you know and i had the seed that started growing Uh, you know, and then it germinates and you've got to put some fertilizer on it. And then about two years ago in February 2019, I got to the point where I just said to myself, um, are you going to keep on thinking about this or are you going to do something? And uh, at that stage, uh, I become a little bit frustrated because there were other people doing similar things. (laughs) And then I realized, you know what, it's not their fault. It's your fault, you haven't taken action. <laughs> um, and then right there and then, I decided, okay, I'm going to do this. Uh, I still have an opportunity to to make it unique by being the first uh, solo rower to, to row from Cape Town to to Rio. Um, so it's, yeah, and then the the planning started it's, yeah, and uh, research and doing all my homework. It was quite a a, a process to, to to be finally to be ready for the departure end of last year.
0: And you followed somebody's route. Somebody had done one before and had taken a hundred I was going to say a hundred years, but a hundred days to do a similar, a similar trip.
1: Yeah, so there's actually been four South Atlantic crossings. Um, so the first one was an, a Brazilian guy called Amir Klink. He, but he, he rode from Luderitz to Salvador in Brazil, so it was a different route. Uh, it's an Atlantic crossing, but a different start place, a different finish place. And he took uh, 144 days. Uh, and then there was also a Latvian guy, two of them, that also rode from Ludritz to, to Salvador. And then five years ago, there was a pair that did the same route as what I did. Uh, uh, Wayne Robertson and Bram Mulherber rode from Cape Town to uh, Cabo Frio, which is in the state of Rio. They took 92 days. And then uh, I came along and uh, smashed all of that with uh, 72 Jeez. days. Uh, well,
0: I was uh, say, continent to continent there.
1: was 69 <laughs> days and then the, the full route was 72 days, yeah.
0: And did you row or did you sail?
1: No, I rowed. No, 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 no sails. <laughs> it's all rowing. it's all me. Personal power, you know, (laughs) I was the captain, I was the navigator, I was the engine, (laughs) everything.
0: (laughs) But now tell me something. How did you know in which direction to row? And I know these things like compasses and what have you. But to me, it just it's mind boggling that you were able to row, obviously with your back to your destination, knowing that you were going in the right direction. You weren't going to end up in probably Atlanta in the US.
1: Um, Yeah, so it is navigation. Uh, I had a navigational app that I used to, to check my position and to check if I was on the route that I had planned. Um, but then, you know, as you say, uh, facing the wrong direction, uh, I just used my compass. So I would be watching my compass to make sure that I was going in the right direction. And then every two to three hours, I would check my position on my navigational app. And then daily, I would uh, do a, a navigational update and plot it in my logbook book um, to, to make sure And tell that, me uh, something,
0: when, <laughs> when you slept, how did you know your boat wasn't gonna turn around? Or, or did you throw anchor? Because I mean, missed, the anchor must have dropped quite a <laughs> way down if you needed to drop one.
1: <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, so there's no anchoring. Um, what we do use in situations like that is what we refer to as a sea anchor. It's like a parachute. So it's a parachute in the water. But no, I did not. I only used my parachute anchor twice. Uh, But most of the times what I would do is from my shore team, they would look at the weather forecast and then I would know that for the period that I was resting, the wind and the weather was still, you know, what direction it was going. So uh, I just used the the, the weather and the wind to my advantage. Um, So that even while I was resting, I was still making headway in the right direction.
0: But if you had no sails, how was your boat being pushed along by the wind? And I'm sorry, I'm this may be, I've, I've never done the no. sailing thing. So. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, no, that, that's a, a, a fair and a, a, you know, a, a very good question. So in ocean rowing, there are two designs of boats. Uh, the one is called a traditional design, and then there's an open class design. My boat is an open class design and it is designed to have the cabin in the front uh, of the boat with a hatch opening to the back. So there is a little square area that's facing back, uh, and in this case, that is where the wind uh, effect came into play uh, so that it, it do, it's still did, like, let's, let's call it a miniature sail, a mini, miniature rigid sail. Wow. But, you know, very, very small, but just enough to, to keep me going in the right direction.
0: And were you not afraid while you were sleeping a storm would rise or had your team told you that something like that was on its way for you to be aware
1: of it? Yeah, no, I was pretty much aware of the, the weather that was coming. Uh, so they would, every morning, they would send me updates for the current day and the next two days. So I had a, a, a good idea of uh, what weather was, was, was heading my way. <clears throat> not that I would have been able to do anything about it, but I was going to prepare myself for it <laughs> and uh, tie everything down. And uh, yeah. Yeah.
0: Did you have any rough weather on your way over?
1: I did. Um, I had on New Year's Eve uh, and the first and the second, I was off the uh, west coast of South Africa, quite quite far north when I had to go through a storm. Um, the waves were four and a half meters high, 35 knots of wind. Wow. Uh, it, it, was, it was quite a, quite a storm. It, it was, and it was my first big storm of uh, the crossing. So it was uh, quite an experience because, you know, I, I didn't know how the boat would uh, fare in, the, in, in, in really, really rough weather. Um, but it all worked out fine. The boat was very, very seaworthy. It's an excellent design uh so it's, yeah, we just uh got through it <laughs> yeah,
0: but now, in terms of your your oars are they are they secured to the boat or um how did how do they work to make sure that when you were sleeping they weren't going to slip out of the uh out of the you know where they were being held
1: yeah, so the oars normally when you row go through oar locks or we call it gates. Uh, But yeah, then I also have brackets on the boat. So everything is tied down and secured. So even if the boat did roll over, uh, nothing would go missing because it's all tied down. Um, So when I wasn't rowing, uh, the oars was lashed down, everything was lashed down.
0: So the boat was was designed in such a way that even if you capsized, you as a solo person out there in the middle of nowhere, was able to turn the boat back on, back, back the correct way.:
1: Yeah, so the boat is designed like a, a lifeboat. Uh, it would actually self right. Uh, so I wouldn't even have to turn it back up. It would do that by itself because of the the ballast and the buoyancy. And uh, I am, was always in rough weather. I was tethered to the boat, so I was tied to the boat. So that should the boat roll over, I wouldn't get separated from the boat because that would have been fatal.
0: I was going to say that would have been a disaster. Uh, in, how did you get signal uh, out there? I mean, I know the Vodacom towers stop on landlock and they don't go out that far. <laughs> were, you, um, were you able to use a satellite link or how does it work?
1: Yes, yes. I had a a satellite phone. um, And through the satellite phone, I had uh, text and data and voice uh, facility. And then I had a second satellite phone, which was just uh, a text facility as a backup in case something happened with the first one. Um, So, yeah, that was my means of communication uh, with my, my team ashore.
0: Now, your previous, uh, the, the, the three or four previous people who did the same journey, as it were, did they have the technical backup that you had on this trip?
1: Um, I, I can't speak for the, the first two, uh, the, the non South Africans, um, but I know that uh, the previous South African pair, Wayne and, and Bram, that, that, that the, the pair's crossing about five years ago. Wayne is a, a, a highly qualified yacht captain. Um, so he had, does have a, a maritime background and experience. Um, but yeah, I, I think my experience as a naval combat officer, the time that I'd served in the Navy with lots of sea time and my, my uh, uh, ocean crossings was, was really critical uh, to, to, to pulling this off. Um, I would advise strongly for, against anybody that doesn't have a maritime background to to attempt this, uh, it it would be really problematic.
0: Were you at any time frightened or did you feel insecure at at any point in this crossing? Because there you were on the Atlantic, as they say in Afrikaans, um, (laughs) and and really just a a flight away from somewhere, from from your nearest point. Were you at any time frightened, uh, anxious?
1: No, no, I wasn't. Um, and I think the, the reason for that was, again, because of my, my maritime background. So, you know, and, and also the boat design and the equipment on the boat. So so I knew that the boat was pretty secure. Uh, you know, it, it, it's got 11 watertight compartments. It's got a four person life raft. It's got uh, emergency position indicating radio beacon that also communicates through this the satellite network. So I knew that if there was an emergency, uh, there's a massive uh, search and rescue network, maritime search and rescue network internationally, Um, and I would be fine. I knew I might be in discomfort for a few days if I ended up uh, in the life raft, but I wasn't concerned about my life. Uh, So I never had that worry or that concern. Uh, I, I knew in the worst case scenario, it would still be okay.
0: And I think that's probably what gave you the courage because you're a very courageous man. Uh, I must admit, I'm, when I do a yacht trip, it has to be not out of the harbour wall because I'm a little bit afraid <laughs> of those big waves. So I, I must admit, I completely admire you for having done this trip. Well, tell me a little bit about the food. Um, you clearly had to take certain types of food or prepare for a certain length of time because you couldn't cook on board. Or How did you manage with your food?
1: Yeah. So, uh, I, and that was part of the the research and the preparation. Um, all my food were, was uh, pre-prepared, pre-packaged. A lot of it was dehydrated, uh, freeze-dried. Um, and then what I, I did, I, I had different sponsors. Um, so Genesis Nutritional Products was a big sponsor of mine. They have products that are normally used for disaster relief. Um, Spar. Um, and then a South African supplier uh, called NomNom. Nom. They make adventure foods. So it was all uh, prepackaged. Um, and then I had lots of sweets and chocolates and nuts and stuff like that as well. Uh, unfortunately, not enough Rusks. Uh I had more than enough coffee. <laughs> very, very important. But, but how um, did you
0: make your coffee? Did you use a battery or how did you boil the water?
1: Yeah, so I, all, all my food that I had to warm up was done with a, a, a little hiker's gas uh, cooker. So a little gas stove and I had uh, designed and, and I made a gimbal so that it would uh, you know, roll and adjust for the movement of the boat in the sea uh, while it was heating the water. So everything was basically a factor of warm water. So my uh, main meal, which was the nom meals, um, I would put in the, 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 the gas uh, or in the water, uh, my little tub, my little pot, uh, and the gas would warm, heat the water, boil the water. And, you know, the, so the boiling water would heat my food. Uh, and then the coffee, it was the same, you know. I would just boil more water and because it had to be filter coffee, you know, it had to be plunger coffee. Oh, my goodness! So, yeah, and then I was, uh, you know, when we grew up, there was we always used to get the condensed milk, the little dirkies, correct? Um, with the milk you know, in that little uh, triangular foil <laughs> packet. That's and a right. A friend of mine said, Oh, you need to take dirkies for your, your coffee and everything. I said, Ah, oh, do they still exist? We tracked them down, and they backed me. By giving me a whole lot of dirkies that I use for my coffee and putting in my porridge you know, to sweeten it up and add some energy to it. Um, but yeah, that was it. Everything was basically a function of of adding water or some form of liquid to it. Um, I had six meals a day, uh, of which a few was just sweets and chocolates. Um, but yeah, so so I needed to have. I think uh, you certainly needed energy. Them. Yes, looking, at size,
0: exactly. uh, looking at the size, looking at the size, you're 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 a fairly sort of slim man. So I can only imagine that you needed every bit of energy that you could get from the food intake.
1: Yeah, I actually had lost a, a lot of weight during the row. I'm not normally this slim. Uh, I lost about 12 kilograms in in muscle mass. Uh, before I started the row, I was uh, quite a bit more bulky than what I am now. Um, Approximately John, how
0: many? Kilometres
1: a day did you row? Um, oh, my word. Uh, I can tell you, I can do a quick calculation because we, everything's calculated in nautical miles. My average nautical miles was 58 nautical miles per day. So that would work out to about 105 kilometers roughly um, per day that I, that I rode.
0: And that's making good time.
1: Because you were yes. you were
0: rowing with waves, so you weren't rowing on a flat surface. Or did you actually have a lot of flat surface time, or was it mostly waves?
1: No, I, I had a lot of waves and swells, but that was an added advantage because they also have energy, so so they actually helped to push me ahead. And then there was a lot of times that I was uh semi-surfing those waves. So, you know, it, it helped me to to go faster. Um It was a big advantage, you know, nature really came to the party uh, and was really a big uh, part of me establishing the world record.
0: So that was, that's another first, obviously, for a South African, because you're a South African, Uh, for South Africa, we have a, another world, 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 world record.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And you beat it by 30
0: days, if I'm correct?
1: 20 days. Yeah. Yeah. I improved it it by 20 20 days? days. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And when you arrived on that side, was there an arrival party for you? Because I know you arrived to a hero's welcome, but does that mean there was a big party on the on the shore when you arrived? Did you? And I'm assuming you arrived in the harbour.
1: Yeah. So wow, it was phenomenal. And uh, you know, about three weeks before the end, the reality started settling in that you know we've got COVID and it's lockdown and this quarantine requirement. So my team members uh, that were supposed to go to to Brazil. To, to be there to receive me when I arrived, could not leave South Africa, um, and that I thought, oh, I'm going to do this major thing, and there's not going to be anybody oh, no. to, to receive me. <laughs> but uh, through through a, a, a mutual friend, uh, they had established a big network of people, different role players in in Cabo Frio in Brazil, um, and they had started planning and rolling out. Uh, so. Even outside the, the, the harbor of Cabo Frio, uh, the local canoe club, they do outrigger rowing. They came with about 10 outriggers. The NSRI was out there with boats and jet skis. The harbor police were out there. There were people out in their, their uh, ledger craft, you know, their ski boats, um, all just coming out to, to receive me and to welcome me. Uh, And then going into the harbour, you know, you go uh, through a a channel to to go into the harbour, the the port at Cabo Frio. And on the one side, there's viewpoints and walkways. And there was people standing there shouting and cheering. And at the Yacht Club, it was the same. Uh, It was really, there was just like, the turnout was phenomenal. It was unbelievable. I, I, I was completely blown away.
0: And I see the first thing that you wanted to eat was a burger and have a
1: Coke. Yeah, that was quite an interesting story because uh, you know, <laughs> during the crossing, the people on the social media would say, "Oh, what are you craving? What you would like? What would you like to have when you get there?" And um, so, you know, at that stage, I had been eating the same food every day, and I was thinking, you know, I'm not a big burger fan. You know, I like it uh, on occasion, <laughs> but for me, it was the 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 variety of the the, the tastes and the textures. And the chips were salt. I was just craving salty stuff. So that's why I thought, okay, you yeah, know, burger and chips would be great. And an ice cold Coke. So uh, I was early. Uh, you know, the, the whole reception and the official welcome had been planned. They, we all worked out and predicted that I will be there on the 28th. And then, then I ended up in the last three weeks making such good time that I was a day and a half ahead of schedule. So oh then we say, okay, well, what now? And they say, I said, no, I, I want to finish. I'm, I'm tired of this. And I said, no, no, you can't. We've <laughs> set this whole thing up for you and the media and everybody's you know, ready for the 28th. So there's a neighboring town to to Cabo Frio. Uh, you know, in both these towns, those areas in the the state of Rio de Janeiro. Um, so they said, no, you've got to go to Buzios. And Buzios has got a lovely little bay that's completely sheltered. Um, so I said, okay. So, so I went into Buzios. I arrived there at half past 10 uh, at night. And as I'm going around the corner, uh, so now I'm going backwards. So I've got the strobe light flashing so that oh, everybody can see me and stay <laughs> out of my way. Because I'm just looking on my navigational app to see where I'm going. Uh, and then as I get closer, I jump up and I look over the, 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 the canopy to see where I am and where the... the In case the you're heading is, for a I'm very large craft... <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then as I come around the corner into the bay, I hear these guys calling my name. I think, am I losing my mind? You know, this is a, <laughs> a town where nobody knows me, but there's somebody on the beach calling me. And the 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 one uh, photographer that had been contracted um, through the, the network, and because my media manager, uh, Sue, couldn't be there, he lived in, in Buzios, and he saw on the communications that they had established with the team, that I was going to be there, and then he saw. Oh, I wanted to have a burger, so he actually waited for me to arrive, uh, and then he was waiting on the beach for me with the burger and chips. Um, <laughs> so that was quite random. Uh, and then that, you know, because that was my official finish of the crossing. That was sixty-nine days, but then the the, the welcome was uh, a few days later at Cabo Frio. So. I stayed in Buzios for a little bit more than a day at, at anchor after I had my burger, and then uh, I carried on to to Cabo Frio for the the official welcome and the and the reception. Um, yeah, yeah. And tell <laughs> me
0: something when you when you got off the boat for the first time, possibly to reach for your burger and coke, you must have walked on on uh, you know through the through the the beach waves to get to the beach. Did you find yourself a bit Sort of unbalanced or a bit wobbly because you'd been through the rocking motion of the sea?
1: I did. Um, I, you know, before, because I'd been in the Navy and I spent a lot of time at sea, you know, when people say, oh, after sea I'm feeling wobbly, whatever, I thought, oh, nonsense, man. I've spent 17 years in the Navy and I never felt wobbly. But it's all about the size of the boat, you know, and, and how stable it is. Uh, And this time, because, I mean, obviously it was quite a lot smaller than a Navy ship. Uh, Yeah, it, it was very unstable and I wasn't, you know, balancing well when I got to the beach. It was different. I can just imagine.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Because I can can only imagine what it must be like to be on this waving, rocking motion and then you suddenly get to a solid piece of ground. As you were crossing the ocean, did you come across any sea life, for instance, whales or sharks that might have, you saw the shark fin and thought, "Uh uh-oh, and the sound of jaws came through your head?
1: (laughs) Um, You know, I was surprised. about the lack of sea life, uh, and I've made quite a few statements about that. Um, I'm really concerned that there's some fishing fleets from s- certain countries that are <sighs> depleting our natural resources. Um, and and the evidence for me was the, the 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 lack of sea life that I experienced. But I did I did have some really really unique experiences. The first one was. Uh, about a week after the the big storm on the the African coast um, you know that's where the reality set in so that was about two and a half weeks into the row and now I'm starting to feel lonely and so and then I see a dolphin swimming towards a boat and then I see ah there's like 10, 12 of them and um, this is my first contact with with another living being and I think oh they're gonna come and you know look at the boat and and then they just swim straight past and keep going. And I think, no, don't go. Oh, way. of it. <laughs> but then I, I did, two weeks later, there was another part of dolphins that did hang around and they did play around the boat for about 10 minutes, which was a really, really special ex- experience. And then the other experience that I had that's more comparable to sharks uh, was marlin. I had three marlins, single marlin on each case, so three different occasions a little one and then a medium sized one and the biggest one was about three and a half meters that swam past the the boat and so close to the boat that if i reached out i could have touched it uh, oh and goodness. a marlin in its natural habitat at sea i didn't know that but when i saw it it's the most beautiful creature it's like a shimmering turquoise color it's phenomenal it's, it's it was really you know having that experience with just i was blown away um so so that was a, a, a real special experience. Um, and then I saw the odd Dorados and a, a, a sunfish and a turtle, uh, but few and far in between. It, it was really, really disappointing. It's very sad. Yeah, very, very sad, sad. Very much, yeah, yeah.
0: And in terms of, of um, like sunset and sunrises, you were, you were rowing, obviously, across time zones. How did you keep yourself balanced with what time of the day it was, or, was, or did it matter?
1: I, for the first half of the row, I stuck uh, to South African time, um, because then I could relate to what my family was doing uh my 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 kids uh you know knowing they're getting up they're going to school they're going to work you know whatever they were doing but then it became completely out of whack uh and then i started changing to the time zones of where i was uh and then at the end so brazil and south africa are five time zones apart uh and then towards the end yeah it became quite a, a difference and uh it took a while for my biological clock to to get used to the the new time zones. Um, but and did you, you know, talk just, to your children yeah. often? <laughs> Pardon?
0: Did you talk to your children often?
1: I did. Um, I, I the the satellite phone had a voice facility, so my daughter had a birthday. Obviously, I phoned her on a birthday, and we chatted, and on Christmas, and. Uh, no, I didn't phone on New Year's. So, yeah, I chatted uh, uh, quite often, but I texted them, uh, you know, t- ugh, lots. Um, it was just easier, you know, the, the voice communications wasn't always clear and was disrupted, so it was a bit frustrating. But the text messages and emailing was was really good. So, And it was also a way for me to uh, reassure them or, re- or assure them, whichever way you look at it, that I was okay, you know, I was safe, everything was still okay with me, um, which was important uh, for them to know, and it was important for me to know that they're okay, Then they're not worried about my well-being.
0: And how old are they?
1: So my, my son is, I, I'm going to have to calculate, he's 34. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then my daughter is uh, 32, 32 and a half. Uh, and then the the younger ones are fifteen and ten. So I've got quite a, a spread.
0: <laughs> my goodness me! And I'm sure they're just so proud of you. And they must have been relieved when you finally arrived. Yeah, um, and did you not feel that my, you needed to go back, or were you quite happy into... to fly back? Uh, there we go. So tell me a little bit about um, your family. You you have children.
1: How, uh, yeah. I hope, I hope you can hear me. Um, So my my son is 34, and then my older daughter is 32 and a half. Uh, And then the two little girls, well, not so little, but uh, they're 15 15 and 10. Um, Yeah, so so (laughs) quite a a, a spread of of, of ages uh, in in the kids. So that's quite Um, a big
0: age gap. And I bet they were so happy to hear that. They were so happy to hear that you'd, you'd landed in, in uh, Rio because I bet they were the first ones you told when you got there.
1: Yes. Yes, I did. I, I, I phoned them uh, just before I ar- arrived, uh, before the official welcome and the media boat arrived. I, I gave them a call uh, and had a quick chat and said to them, oh, it's, it's finished, it's over. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and,
0: and I have just a laugh. i have a last question for you did you not feel no i'm never rowing an ocean again (laughs) there
1: was no question about that (laughs) yeah
0: absolutely absolutely
1: yeah i got the t-shirt i don't need another t-shirt with the same uh, branding on it (laughs) yeah
0: I really appreciate you having joined us on this on the journey that we've taken with you. I felt like I was with you in the boat uh, rowing across across the sea um, and for sharing your thoughts and obviously to your team and your sponsors. Um, I think they were great. Maybe you want to just take a moment to thank all of them on yeah, air. Yeah, yeah, please, um, that's great. You know, a project like this, this isn't
1: possible without backing of, of, of corporates uh, because it requires a big investment and as an, an individual we don't always have the the resources readily available. So having a company like UE Renewable Energies, uh, that was my my biggest uh, backer for for this project was great. But then also the the other companies like Nova Marine that supplied all my safety equipment. They also uh, provided the satellite data connection. Uh, And then going through, as I mentioned earlier, Genesis Nutritional Products, Aerontech, Bulwark, Sartex, uh, the Durkee guys, Spar, uh, Fleetmon that provided my satellite trackers, uh, uh, Storm Geo that provided the software for the weather systems. Um, it's amazing, you know. They they all came on board. They trusted me when I gave them my proposals that uh, I would deliver on what uh, was promised, um, and it's great, uh, you know, that that there are corporates like that in South Africa that are prepared to to take the risk uh, because, you know, that taking the risk and and, and taking on a big challenge is also part of my motivation. You know, as we chatted earlier, and we said that South Africa and globally, we're going through difficult times. Um, And I'm hoping that through me doing this row, I would inspire and motivate people that they would say, well, if this 59-year-old guy from Cape Town can row from Cape Town to Rio, then I can do anything, you know, and and to inspire people to to take on their big projects and their big challenges uh, and make a difference to themselves and make a difference to their families and the world. Oh, yes. Um, And would you like to mention They all volunteered. They didn't get paid for this. Uh, Some of them were co-opted. They didn't even volunteer. (laughs) Um, But having uh, my old school friend Hugo... (laughs) Uh, uh, he lives in the Garden Route, and when he saw I was doing this, he made contact with me, and he said to me, Zirk, who's supporting you? Who's, who's your support team? And I said, no, well, I don't have anybody. He said, no, that's unacceptable. I'm I'm your support team. And then after that, I got uh, another old uh, Navy friend of mine on board, um, and then my friends where I'm staying now, uh, as I'm settling back in, Geordie uh, uh, and Alison, Alison became my weather guru. Uh, she had no background in, in weather, but she just made it her uh, priority to get to know the the the, the software that was supplied, by, supplied by Storm Geo. And she became a real weather guru uh, through through the experience and, and, and learning. Uh, and then Wayne Robertson, who was rode previously as a pair with Brahm, he was also part of my team, so he was also available to, to give me advice based on his experience. Um, phenomenal, uh, amazing um, that they all just gave up. And it was a 24-7. Sometimes uh, Alison would, in the middle of the night, she would message me to check in with how I was doing, give me the latest weather update. Um, yeah, it's, and it's vital to have a support team uh, that are there for you twenty four seven. Amazing, amazing. I, I, I love them and I appreciate what they've done for me.
0: I must Absolutely. say they've done a phenomenal job. Absolutely, because you know. And, and, and then the other safety. person that um, was also part chatting.
1: of the su- support team is Sue uh, from Catalyst Media, my media manager, because a project like this is is aimed at generating exposure for a cause to create that awareness. Uh, and she's done a phenomenal job to, to make sure that the message has gone out internationally uh, to, on sustainable development and the, the, the motivational, inspirational side of, of, of the project. Um, amazing. Uh, it's, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's been such a rewarding, it was challenging, but it's been such a rewarding project. Uh, it's been life-changing for me.
0: And what would, in closing, what would your message do it. be to Go anyone out it. there considering Go for it. Dream big, like
1: do big, live a great adventure.
0: Thank you. And I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Zirk Zerk Buiter, adventurer, combat, um, combat diver. Um, and, and his best achievement to date has definitely been rowing solo from Cape Town to Rio. Most people do it in a yacht. Thank you for joining me, Janine Preston, with another podcast sponsored by H2O Nero, Clean Water Solutions.